How does it feel to know that your chains have been broken? How does it feel to know that you have been set free? How does it feel to know that you have this amazing, amazing grace? That God thought about you. He knew you when he knitted you together in your mother's womb. And he's cared for you ever since. How does it feel to know that here this morning? To know that we are blessed and we are loved by a creator who spoke in the universe, leapt into existence. I, I don't know about you, but I know good and well I don't deserve it, but I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful just to take the next breath, to be able to get out of bed this morning, to have a heat in my house. Uh, he looks after us in so many different ways. I don't want us to take that for granted. I don't want us to take that for granted. What a great opportunity we have this morning to be in the house of the Lord. We get to open up God's scripture. We get to hear him speak to us through his word. And that is a blessing as well. Turn with me in your copy of God's word. And we're continuing our series in the book of Acts. We'll be in Acts chapter 11 this morning. We'll be starting in verse 19. And, and, and as we're going through Acts, what we see is the beginning of the church. And it's interesting because when we, we, we look back on this time in history and we, we look back on it very fondly, and we think in a lot of cases when we look at the church being started, uh, we, we think of it as the model church. We think back and like, man, look, look how committed they were. And look how on, on fire they were. You know, today um, is Reformation Day. I'm sure you guys are excited to go and celebrate Reformation uh, today and to go out and, and dress as uh, Martin Luther and uh, uh, put uh, your, your 95 Reese's on your door. That's what we're all doing tonight, right? Because, you know, even though we look back fondly on the early church, we, we didn't always do it well. We didn't always do it as God has prescribed us. And so thank God for Martin Luther, who saw some errors in the church, and he wanted to bring it to the attention. And so something could be done, which turned into this great movement of, of, of us coming together and to ensure that we're standing on a firm foundation of, of God's word and what it says, not adding to it, not taking away from it, but letting it stand based on what God has said and what he has called us to do. So we carry on that tradition here today. And also not only that, but today is the, the end of Pastor Appreciation Month. And I'm just so grateful to stand before you as your pastor. This is a great privilege that I don't take for granted. And I just love that it's the way God has used me in this area. And another area what I don't deserve, but despite my flaws, despite everything that I bring to the table, God has persevered and he's continued to work on me. And I hope that um, through that, that you have been blessed by what God is doing for me in my life. Um, and I'm fortunate enough today to have my pastor here. Um, and he's going to hate me for doing this, but I am so grateful. I would not or maybe may not be here if it weren't for him because he put it in my mind that I could preach one day. I never thought about this ever in my life. And uh, we went on a mission trip, and one day he's like, you see, I, I should have had you preach while you were here. I'm like, what? I don't, it's not, I don't preach. I don't, it's not something I do. 
He's like, you can and you will. And that put a seed in my mind of, man, maybe, maybe I could. Maybe God is calling me to something more than, than what I'm allowing myself to be used as. So, Pastor Brandon, so glad that you can be here today. And I'm grateful for you, brother, as my friend and my pastor. And um, just I, I love you so much. I appreciate you. Here we are in Acts chapter 11. They're talking about the church. I want you to look with me. In Acts 19, as we kind of see, you know, leading up to this, you know, Paul or Peter had gone through and, and he's been learning some lessons himself um, about uh, what, who the gospel is for and, and who it is not for. And what he found out is the gospel is for everyone. There is no partiality when it comes to the God's word and salvation, that, that Jesus came so that everyone might know him. And he's going and he's uh, had this um, uh, uh, instance, an event with Cornelius and his family. He was a, a Gentile and, and he had to come back and answer to the church because they're like, hey, bro, what are you doing? Like, uh, is that what we're supposed to be doing? Like, th they're not even circumcised. And Peter had to tell him about the vision and everything that happened and, and, and how uh, the, 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 and the vision that says, don't call anything unclean that I have made. And he got this huge lesson. Now we're going to see further uh, fallout from that and just a continuation of the story here in, in verse 19. If you would read with me in your copy of God's Word, starting in Acts 11, chapter, chapter 11, verse 19. Here God's Word reads. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose after Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyrus, uh, Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw that the grace of the Lord, he, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. I'm going to pause there um, when we talk about this. So when here, when we pick up in the text, the Christians are scattered during Saul's persecution. And I'm going to keep reminding you um, when we're reading through this, and we have Saul who is persecuting the church, who didn't want these, these people the following the way, this, uh, talking about this guy named Jesus. He was persecuting them, and he had this miraculous transformation when Jesus got a hold of him, stopped him in his track and said, why are you persecuting me? And so I was like, uh, who exactly are we talking about here? And he got a lesson having that encounter with Jesus Christ, and his life was dramatically transformed because of that encounter. But still, here's the fallout, right? During Paul's persecution, the church um, that we talked about in, in Acts 8, um, they're, they're scattered all around, and some of them arrived here in Antioch. Now, Antioch was the capital city of Syria. It was about 300 miles from Jerusalem. And while there were many cities named Antioch, this was the major one. This was the real deal, the special one. There was about a half million people there in Antioch and it was the third largest city behind Rome and Alexandria. 
Antioch was so dope, in fact, that on the main street, the main street was paved in marble. It was ornate. They had marble colonnades on both sides. I mean, you couldn't miss. If you got lost, you would know you weren't in Antioch if you didn't see how, how clear and massive and ornate this place was. It was the first city in, ancient, in the ancient world that actually had streetlights. There's towns in, in, in Illinois here that don't even have streetlights, but I tell you what, back in the day, Antioch, they had streetlights. So they were the place to be if you were going somewhere and traveling. Antioch was a busy port filled with rich folks. They were retired Roman officials and politicians. They come from all around so they can take part in what was going on here in the city. Like Corinth, Antioch was also known for their wickedness. This was not a Christian city. All these people came together in the city. They worshiped different deities. The major one was Daphne, who um, included a lot of immoral practices of which we won't get into today, but it was really bad. The stuff they were doing in their worship of this uh, fake deity named Daphne and others. Think of a place like New Orleans, where every day is Mardi Gras. That's the kind of place that Antioch was. Now, here comes these Christians. Here comes these Christians that are on fire for the Lord, going into this wicked city. Imagine, imagine being one of these, these Christians who are just on fire knowing who Jesus Christ did and excited about who he is and what he's doing, and you go into a place like Antioch. They weren't impressed or in awe by these ordinate build, buildings. They didn't care nothing about all your marble colonnades and all that kind of stuff. They, they had a, a message to give that that was far more important than any of these, these paved roads that we see. They weren't intimidated by the pride of the citizens. Uh, the word of God was on their lips, and they were on a mission for Jesus. They wanted to share who he was and what he's done. They weren't to be distracted by any of these other things. Here we also see that Luke calls out men from uh, northern Africa, cities like Cyprus and Cyrene, as men who boldly and courageously went to Antioch to preach the good news. They, they wanted to know people about uh, this hope that was available to them. These men strategically and intentionally broke through major cultural barriers in order to share this good news so that people of Antioch would know the name of Jesus. We talk about missionaries, but uh, for us here in Bolingbroke, we're, we're missionaries called here to Bolingbroke to share the good news just like they were, to, to break across these cultural differences and barriers so that they might be able to know the name of Jesus. How can we be sought in light if we don't in, engage with the folks who are living in darkness? That doesn't make sense to me, how we can come to a church and, and take a part in our, I appreciate, I was going to say take a part in our science seats, but I see people sitting in different seats today. You, you guys are listening. I appreciate that. But most times we come and we sit in our science seats and, and, and then we, we don't go outside of these four walls to, to, to talk about what's most important. And hopefully you guys are doing that too after you leave here, not only sitting in, in different seats, but also going and share the good news, the name of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, our mission is to be involved with people. 
We need to learn to live faithfully. We need to live soberly, wisely, graciously among people who are far from God so that the light of Christ would shine in their midst. It doesn't do us any good for the light to shine in this building and everybody else don't. They're not here to see it. They're not here to witness. We need to go from this building and take the light out into the dark world, into the, the, uh, to the people that are living in that darkness. And I'm like, what's, what's up with that person? Why are they like, the, like they are? The, the world is terrible now with the, the pandemic and people losing jobs and all that kind of stuff. And this, these people are walking around with a smile on their face. What's up with them? Talking about this guy named Jesus. Who, who do they think they are? We get to share our testimony with them about who Jesus is and what he's done personally for us. So not only for, for our good, but so that their lives might be changed. Brothers and sisters, we are at war and we are called to be engaged on the front lines. This is so important for us. We're not supposed to be standing in the background and letting life happen. We're supposed to be there in the middle, in the thick of things. Put on the full armor of God. Do you remember when we talked about that? And going and engaging with people. Look with me in verse 22. The report came, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and uh, many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas uh, went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he came and found him, he brought him into Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now we've got all these Christians that have descended into, into Antioch, now, people are coming to faith, and um, then they go and send, to, they send for Barnabas because they need to be disciple, right? They, they hear the name of Jesus, and they trust on him. They believe on him. And now the next step, so Baptists get this, they get this twisted so, time, so many times. So the Baptists come in, and people come to faith, and, and we baptize them like, yeah, the work is done. We got somebody else in the kingdom, and we don't do anything else. <laughs> We gotta, we gotta come in after. That's just the start of that process. That's the start of people coming to Jesus. Our next step is so that we can disciple them and we can walk alongside them. And this is gonna be a whole new thing. This is a whole new life that they're dealing with. And how, how do they navigate through these waters without somebody walking alongside them? Without uh, instructing them and reading the, the, the text and the scripture with them? And, and being and praying for them and, and being there when they, they, they fall and they need to get back up. They, they, some of their old friends come and their old ways come back up. They need somebody that can come to that, that, that is faithful and mature in the Lord that can help them through that process. Man, we do a bad job of this. We got to do better to come alongside those people who are new and loving the Lord and have given their life over to them to walk alongside them. And, and we, we think about discipleship as, you know, uh, I'm the, the discipler and I'm teaching them. But in most cases, we're learning from 
each other. Because <laughs> what's interesting about us Christians, we forget what we were saved from. We, we, we are Christians so long, we're holy so long, we're so spiritual for so long, we forget that what God has brought us out of. And sometimes we need a reminder that person that we're walking with and they're struggling and it makes us think back, oh, oh, remember when I was there. But let me tell you what the Lord did. Let me tell you how faithful our God is. He was there for me and he'll be there for you too makes us think back and remember what we were saved from and, and also what we're saved to. This is important. So when, when all these Christians are coming to faith, they need to be discipled. And Barnabas, uh, they sent for Barnabas to come in. And my man Barnabas, I, loved, I love him. When, I, when we see him come up in the story, uh, I love seeing Barnabas because while we should always strive to imitate Christ, I don't know about you, but sometimes that's intimidating for me. I mean, Jesus, he's the son of God. I mean, he was tempted but never succumbed. I mean, he knows and he understands and he sympathizes with what you and I deal with. But, I mean, he's the son of God. But when you look at somebody like Barnabas, he's a regular dude. He's a regular guy. He's a regular person just like you and me. And if it's possible for him, it's possible for us as well. When we come through and, and, and we see this, we see this regular guy named Barnabas. He's a man who was righteous and obeyed the word. He's, uh, he has a character that's above reproach. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's a man of strong faith. He's an encourager. So I love that not only do we have the example, the perfect example of Jesus Christ, but he, we have people all throughout the scripture like a Barnabas. Like a Saul, and I, I keep harping on this because I can't help but being, being encouraged by the transformation. If he can transform a guy like Saul, then there's hope for me too. And there's hope for you too. If he can use somebody like that, he can certainly do wonders with somebody like you. So in addition to Christ, Barnabas is a shining example. We need to, be, we need to have more people like Barnabas who uh, help to encourage us, uh, uh, who was there to, to walk with us so that we can grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. A great example of how encouraging he was is how he rejoiced in what he saw when he got into town. Remember, Barnabas is coming from Jerusalem, and this is the first time that he worshiped with Gentiles. So I imagine that their worship was a little different. I imagine uh, they gathered together and what they did together was a little different. They sang different songs. They, they probably dressed a little different than what he was used to and accustomed to in Jerusalem. Their culture was different. I'm sure he didn't refuse to sing a song simply because it was not something that he grew up on or he wasn't familiar with him. He's like, I don't know the song, but man, they are praising God and the words are strong and it's talking about Jesus. I'm in. Instead of turning his nose up and not participating because it was difficult, he had a positive attitude and didn't look for things to criticize. Whew. The music, the way they dressed, and many other things would have been very different than what they were accustomed to in Jerusalem. And Barnabas sees the big picture. As he goes in, he rejoices in spite of the differences. 
he goes in and sees like, oh, man, I've never seen this before, but man, they are praising God, and I actually kind of like this. <laughs> they are full of the Spirit here. Keep praising God. Keep on going. Stay faithful to the Lord and his steadfast purpose. He recognized that God was at work, and he thanked God for his grace. To say, you know what, um, I mean, in Jerusalem, right, I mean, when, when you start the service, you really should be doing X, Y, Z, and, you know, we sh- you should only have three songs to begin, and then before you, oh, and at the end, you got to be sure. No, no, that's not what Barnabas did. He came in and said he saw them praising God, and he thanked God for what was happening and the transformation that was taking place. Many people from this wicked city who were used to worshiping false gods were doing imaginable, unimaginable things until they encountered the risen Lord. Their lives were transformed because of who Jesus is. And when these Christians who were grounded in the word and were strong witnesses to these lost people, their lives were changed. I pray that it would be so when people encounter us. That they see, well, you guys don't really worship like I'm used to, but I see that the, that the Spirit is, 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 is there with you, that you, you are uh, faithful to the Scriptures and you want to serve Him the best that you can. Let me tell you something. This, this is not a model church here at First Baptist Bolingbrook. We're not perfect. Uh, we're, we're not all that fancy. Um, our building is falling apart. You know, but what I hope is that we come and we serve Jesus to the best of our ability. Despite of the, 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 the ceiling caving in around us, that we are going to be here and we're going to be serving the Lord. Because that's what's important. That's what matters. And when people come to be guests here, they, 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 they hear about what's going on at First Baptist and like, Man, those, those folks, they love Jesus. I would love for the, the community to know us for that. Think of the opportunity that we have here in Bolingbroke. If we would be grounded in the word of God and we have a heart for our city and the community and be driven not only to serve Bolingbroke but to share Christ with them. Look at the opportunity that we have here. If it's, if it's possible for Antioch, it's possible for us here in Bolingbrook to go and be the hands and feet of Christ and be able to share this good news, this hope that we have in Christ Jesus. What an opportunity we have here today. And uh, again in verse 25, so he, Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Now, if you remember Barnabas, he goes uh, to get Saul. And if you remember, God has called Saul to be a messenger to the Gentiles. As, um, as we look back into chapter 9, verse 15 in Acts, it says, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And also remember that Barnabas has taken Saul under his wing. Because remember, hey, this guy is persecuting the church, and now he has this transformation. He's like, no, I want to preach Jesus too. And the, and the <laughs> apostle like, I don't know. I don't know about this guy. I mean, is this another scam? 
Is he trying to, to, to get within our group and to break us up? I mean, what is this plan here? And Barnabas, the encourager, he's like, no, I see something in this brother. I see what's happening, and I spent some time with him, and I see the ways this is not the same guy that we were used to in the past. Jesus has got a hold of him, and Barnabas comes and takes him under his wing, disciples him as they walk together. Acts 9 and 26 and says, uh, and, and when he came to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him. For they did not believe he was a disciple, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the, the apostles and declared to them how much, how on the road he had seen uh, the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. By this time that Barnabas brings him to Antioch, it would have been about 10 years since Saul had been converted. And this is another good lesson for us as well. If you've heard me, you've heard me say this numerous times that we should always be looking uh, for a way to replace ourselves. And this comes with discipleship. If you're a ministry leader here today, I've been encouraging you to have at least one or if not two, three people with you that can be shadowing you, you can be delegating to, so that they can come in and take your place and you can go on to your next mission. How else you can be serving God in the local church? How else you can be serving God out in the community? And you'd be going and not doing anything by yourself, but have people there with you who can be learning and growing from that experience. Not only that, but mature believers need to be intentional about connecting with others and encouraging them in the Lord. I mean, if you've been in the church most of your life and have uh, been growing leaps and bounds over the years, uh, I, I really want you to, to be passing that on to folks that are younger in the faith. I know I've learned so many different things about uh, prayer, d discipleship, and, and other things just by uh, glomming on to somebody that is more mature in the faith than I am. And I wouldn't be the person that I am today without those uh, more mature saints that have taken me under their wing, that have shown me the lessons that they've learned so that I can continue to grow in my faith as well. Each of you should have a role in the church that you're responsible for. This is not just for us to plop down for an hour on Sunday. This is just to, for me to equip you um, through the, the, the word of God so that we can be on mission and do what he's called us to do. Uh, this is to, to set us up so that we can operate for the rest of the week and be on fire like they were uh, here in Antioch and be able to share the good news and be able to have impression on people and to, to see God work uh, in our jobs and in our, our uh, special activities and whatever else there, there might be. The famous Chicago preacher D.L. Moody is quoted as saying, it's better to put 10 men to work than do the work of 10 men. We'll let that hang in the air for a minute. D.L. Moody says it's better to put 10 men to work than do the work of 10 men and women. So we need your hands and feet. I love the example of, of the body of Christ. And I bring this up often too because I think it shows us what this should look like for us. You know, if a part of your body is not working right, then you overcompensate. So if you're not showing up, if you're not helping out 
through the church is no, the body is overcompensating because you're not utilizing the gift that God has given to you. We need you. And not just to do work, but we need you because you're, you're part of the family and we love you. We want to see your face. We want to be encouraged by you. We want to hear your story. We want to hear how things are going in your life and what God is doing for you. We want to know how we can be praying for you, how we can be lifting you up, how we can walk alongside you. You can't close yourself up and, and not allow any of us to, to come in and, and speak uh, what God's words to you because God put people around you for a reason. He put us together, and there's, we wouldn't be here aside from the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm so grateful to know and be in fellowship with each and every one of you, and the commonality that brings us together, the bond that can't be broken is the blood of Jesus. And I know that when I'm struggling, when, when I'm having a hard time, that I know that there's people here that, like, hey, let's, what's going on? Let me help you out. Let me, let me share what God has done for me. Let me be here to pray for you. Let me be here to encourage you. And, not, and the flip side is true as well. When, when we're celebrating, yeah, I want to celebrate with you too. I want you all to be involved so we can celebrate together what God is doing amongst us. Not just for me, but for you, but for the church, for Bolingbroke, for the nation. It was also here in Antioch where Christians were described um, as followers of Christ. They use this term called Christian, and it's important to note that this is not a term of endearment when they were called Christians. It was just a description used by the people of Antioch. You know, it would be like uh, us calling somebody a Jesus freak or a Bible thumper or a holy roller. This was the connotation of them calling the, the folks Christians at that time. I mean, like, man, you see Jesus people, man, they're everywhere. Man, watch out for them Jesus people. They, they will stop you, and <laughs> they're not shy about telling you about this dude named Jesus, man. You just can't get it. Every conversation they're bringing up this guy, talking about being changed. and Why don't they just get with the program and do what everybody else is doing? They want to be different. If we look at the term Christian, even today, it's lost much of its luster. It doesn't necessarily mean that someone is a follower of Christ. A Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness would call themselves Christians, even though they have very distorted, distorted views of what Jesus or who Jesus is. It's been watered down. We, we have this cultural Christianity that when, when people just grow up and they're, they grew up in the church or maybe they still do go from time to time, they might give a little money to the church, but unless they have uh, turned, to, uh, to turned away from their sin and they've turned to Jesus and they've received salvation um, by grace through faith, they are not a Christ follower. This is a requirement. This is a must-have. Do not pass go. This is the cost of admission. And we use that term very flippantly these days. But in order for you to truly be a Christian, you must repent and ask for forgiveness of your sin. You must put your faith in Jesus Christ who died for our sins on the cross. He rose again and gives us eternal life. That's what a Christian is. That's it. Dr. David Otis Fuller is quoted as asking this question. You've probably heard this before. 
if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Some chuckles. But a, a good question for us to ask ourselves and take some, uh, some, some look inside of ourselves and be introspective about who it is that we are and what it is that we're doing. We say we're Christians, but how much do we look like Christ? Or would people at your job, some of your friends, be surprised to know you're a Christian? Verse 27. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to spend, uh, send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Here they are, they're understanding that they were part of God's family. Like I just said, they, they knew and understood they had been brought together because of the blood of Christ. They looked at each other as brothers and sisters. They were in a family. Even the Gentile believers provided support for their Jewish brothers and sisters in need. Regardless of past divisions, regardless of the, the past actions that took place, they understood um, that what, what was brought to them, or they understood what brought them together, made them stronger. They understood that uh, anything that tried to separate them would not be accomplished because of who Jesus Christ is and what he had already done. Aside from a few names listed in our text this morning, Barnabas, Saul, and etc., we don't know the names of the people who were at work evangelizing, even though what they did is still having reverberating effects for us over 2,000 years. It just names, you know, all these people were going, they were scattered and doing all this business about, you know, talking about Jesus, proclaiming his name. We don't know anything about these people who started this worldwide mission. If you wondered if an unnamed Christian like yourself could really make a difference in the kingdom, I'm here to tell you that the answer is yes. A resounding yes. Just like these unnamed people that we see in Scripture, most of us will go on unnamed. But we have a powerful effect on the kingdom because of what God can do through us. These folks didn't put on a fancy vacation Bible school or they didn't have cool decorations, didn't have fancy buildings, they didn't put up uh, pizza parties, they didn't have bounce houses. What they had was the name of Jesus. What they had was the scriptures. They didn't have a program or a budget. They had faith in Jesus. They had the, the zeal for the Lord. They had the, the, the stories of their own transformation. They had scripture to stand on and the miracles that took place. These days, we have these celebrity Christians, I should use air quotes, 
But let me tell you, the most important people in the church aren't always the most famous. The church at Antioch started because of nobodies. Nobodies like you and me. It started by nobodies who loved their neighbors enough that they would share the good news with them. Nobodies that loved the people that they came into contact with, that they worked with day in and day out, that they wanted them to be transformed like they had, that would be courageous enough to share Jesus with them. This is what I want us to take. This is what I want us to be known for. For, for people out in the community to be like, man, here comes those first Baptist Bolingbroke people, man. You better watch out. They're going to tell you about God, and, you know, if you stand still too long, they're going to let you know about what God is, is doing, who, who, what, not only what he's doing for them in their own lives, but what he's doing at that church over there. It's amazing. Man, what an opportunity that we have. What a challenge that we have here today that we would, we would take this and not hold it to ourselves. We get excited about a lot of things and we want to share, you know. Many of you have children and grandchildren and like, hey, let me show you a picture. <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm so happy about my grandchildren. They're so cute and so, so lovely. And my, my child or uh, my friend or whoever it is, they're about to graduate. They're doing so many great things. They got this great job. Let me tell you about it. I wonder what would happen if we had the same zeal about what Jesus Christ is doing in our lives. Let me tell you what just happened. Even for us, right, we, we, had, we got a sinkhole out in, in the parking lot, and, 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 and us and the, me and the leaders have been praying about it. What are we going to do about it? We can't afford anything about it. We talked to the village. The village didn't want to do anything about it, and we just kept on praying and kept on talking and asking, and then soon the village just showed up one day, plugging in the hole. That's the kind of God I serve. Who makes a way out of no way. Like, I don't know what you're going to do, Lord, but I know you're going to take care of us, even if that means we got to go somewhere else. I don't know what you're going to do, but I trust you. And we got so many testimonies like that <laughs> at this church of, you know, how, we, how God has made a way out of no way. For us to be here 53 years is amazing in and of itself. And also individually, I know and I talked to many of you who, who God has showed up in miraculous ways for you. We got to let people know. We got to be sure to be telling people about how great our God is. If you're here today, and, and if you're, you're asking yourself, like, man, you, you said a lot today. talking about Jesus and this place, Antioch and all this kind of stuff. And, and if you've got questions about who that is and how you can walk with him, that, that's why I'm here. This was all a setup so I can talk to you about who Jesus Christ is so that you might know him. Or maybe you're here today and, and, and you, you've been walking with him and you're on a tough time and you, you don't know where to turn. You don't know. You're just stuck. I'm here to encourage you. And that we, we serve a God who, who does make a way out of no way. And even, even when we are at our lowest point, you know, we go through that valley of the shadow of death so that we can appreciate the green pastures 
that we, we know that he's there to, to comfort us through any and all situations. It's the kind of God we serve. So I'd love to have that conversation with you. I'll be here. John will be here to talk with you and pray with you. But I hope you're encouraged today that, that we're, we're not the model church, but we're doing our best. And I'm just grateful that God uses nobodies like us for his kingdom mission, that he would use us so that he would be known and that he would get the glory. Let's pray. Father God, I'm so grateful for who you are and what you've done. I'm so excited. I, I don't want this to be contained just to myself. I hope everybody else would, would hear this, this good news, that we would be continually preaching the gospel to ourselves, know how good and gracious you are, how merciful you are, and that we don't hold that to ourselves and know that you're not only good to us, but you're, you're good to those who will call upon your name. Father, help us to go and take this message to those who need to hear it, that they might also be encouraged that we can, like they did in Antioch, go out to Bolingbrook so that Bolingbrook Brook might be changed for the gospel. You might use us so people might glorify you, be thankful for what you've done in their own lives, that their lives might also be transformed. That we would look forward to that day you'll return. That we will look forward to the day that we get to spend forever and eternity with you. Father, I thank you just for loving us in that manner, in that way. Father, we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.